sad that Dritas is not here. <sighs> really sad. Because he's I, a big time Argentinian fan. I would have loved to see his reaction. Uh, I was sure he, he was going to bring Argentina jersey, some football jersey. I didn't know that he wasn't coming and uh, I was imagining him sitting here with the Messi jersey, mm. being really happy, talking 50% of this pod yeah. about uh, the game that happened yesterday. Great commentating by him last night. Uh, football has peaked. We ha actually, oh, I wait, wait, wait. Well, I let, let me ask you one question. Did you, did you watch the game yesterday? Of course. Because I saw uh, on, Insta on your Instagram story uh, a video of your kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you did not get the memo, but it, you wasn't allowed to post anything else apart the messy pictures yesterday on Instagram. Like <laughs> all, all Instagram was was only messy pictures. And it was so wrong because Angel Di Maria was actually the MVP of the game. I mean, he I was mean, he paid he made the path for this victory. True. Of course, they they ruined uh, everything in the last fifteen minutes of the game. You could also say the MVP was the the goalkeeper. True, true, true. He made uh, of course, that save in that save in the one hundred and twenty second minute of the of the of the game in yeah. the overtime yeah. was like uh, you and know. Emi Hernandez, right? Yes, like this and or uh, the hand <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> He made a lot of interesting it, gestures. It will make yesterday. a great gift. Okay, but <laughs> but no, uh, his save was uh, you know on, on Twitter compared with the LeBron's block on Iguodala in true, Game Seven. True, true, true. Because it was uh, even I mean, those goals by Mbappe. I mean, he did his best uh, trying think, to I think save. He, he touched all the yeah, all yeah, the, all yeah, the shots. Yeah. So I just, just wondered, I just started wondering if I'm a goalkeeper and Mbappe just, you know, goes through my hands, should I work more on, on what? Should I work more on strength to, know. you know, to, to get to advance into the next level or what? What goalkeepers do in those kind of situations? Uh, or it's just impossible to, to save that shot? I think uh, it's just he shoots so strong that it's hardly impossible to... Who is Mbappe in today's basketball? Is he like Who is Mbappe in LeBron today's basketball? James? No, I mean he's he, he's much younger. Not in he's, today's but LeBron James when he he was younger, growing to, yeah. to an elite player. No, I don't know. Maybe maybe Kevin Durant. Okay, can do can do everything so on the. He also has the his office. burnout account, or no? <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm not following him on on, okay. on his socials, but but. Uh, no, he I love seems, uh, all the storylines about Messi. It was great. I also think that he's great as ever. But I just think that his um, all this, you know, narrative about about him overshadowed the real heroes, or let's say mm. the heroes who were not less as important as as Messi. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know why, but uh, also again, it's probably the narrative of the social media and and. Uh, the current world we live in right now, it was obviously, you know, for a lot of people, it was if Messi wins this, he is the GOAT. Yeah. Even though, you know, the debate is uh, subjective all the time mm. and, you know, winning a World Cup game where you, where also others can decide the, the outcome of the game is, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, if Messi wins this, he is the GOAT. If he doesn't win, then, then what? You know, he's not the GOAT yeah. anymore. And... Uh, so yeah, you made a great point. Like there were like three heroes in that Argentina team, uh, and everybody's saying is like even even me. I'm saying this, this was the best game of football you you know you you have probably seen, and uh, but the best drama I would say best drama for sure. It was a 
pretty bad game until the until eight, se- 80 minutes. 75 minutes yeah, uh, yeah. 75th minute it so was I was like, also surprised but as a football outsider I was surprised by this narrative our commentators including Ritas they were killing France for 75 minutes suddenly this game is the best uh, World Cup final uh, ever I Pro- mean probably because for me. because you know that what happened after the 75th minute in the clutch time there were so many great moments so many great saves and uh, France managing to come back two times in mm. such short periods obviously two goals in two minutes that's also yeah you yeah. know you don't see that very often so uh obviously you know mbappe scoring a hat trick also is a great story messi yeah. you know messi involved in all this makes it you know even yeah em- emphasizes everything like a chair yeah. on a cake probably yeah, so just uh probably the best storyline the only better storyline would have been if it was Ronaldo getting the hat trick and Portugal and Messi still winning. Ooh. That would have been. Ooh. This is the only that could t- the only storyline that could top this. But it was, you know, the present, the goat, and maybe the the ne- the next uh, superstar battling each other and just you know teammates as well. Mm. So uh, everyone was watching football, even even. Me, I was watching football. My my kid was also watching football, although he was not as impressed with football game as if it was a basketball broadcast. I have to be honest, because then he tried to to play with uh, with some other things during the football game. But when there is basketball, he is just all the time focused on on the game. I don't know, maybe because screens are changing all the time, or it's there's more dynamics in the basketball game. I I don't know, but anyways, everybody was watching football. I, I, I was yeah. just. I just heard that fact that four years ago in 2018, 1.1 billion people watched the game out of like 7 billion we had back then probably. Right now we we have around eight, I think. So that's huge. And who for sure didn't watch, I mean, what people for sure didn't watch was some domestic league games, including Lithuanian sure. league. We have Zalgris, Letkavilis, Fairly tough three teams in Lithuania. Uh, Euro League team same and Euro time Cup team. As a FIFA World Cup. What the hell is that? I don't How? Know. I mean, the same happened with uh, French League game, uh, games. Okay, Asvel and Strasbourg, they uh, changed the uh, game time from, I don't remember when, to uh, they, they played at one o'clock. Instead of playing during the final, they yeah, played before. Yeah. But they also put Monaco game against Luportel at seven o'clock by their time the fifa world cup final started at four and from what i've heard i mean even doing a smart decision by postponing uh the game time in in i don't remember it was in strasbourg or villarban it was not a league's decisions it was a broadcaster's decisions but decisions <laughs> but to put monaco game against Luporta, who who even watches that game because if france wins of course you celebrate you go to the streets nobody cares about nothing else if you lose you Doesn't, you hate no, nothing everything. You hate uh, the whole world. You don't want to do anything, and especially watching Monaco playing against Luportel. How can you put the game? How can you schedule games like that? I mean, there was this guy on Twitter who tweeted something in 2014 or 15 that Leo Messi will play FIFA World Cup final in December 18, 2022, oh, yeah, and yeah. become the GOAT. I, I mean, saw that. that guy, seven years ago, <laughs> he saw you know what's coming, and he probably planned his day seven years ago. For sure. Our leagues, our ba- uh, people who run basketball, they can't make these decisions, you know, preparing the schedule and having this big, big mark in our calendar. 
the FIFA World Cup final. You I know, mean, it's, it's stupid for me. I agree. I completely agree. It's, you know, without a doubt, the biggest sporting event, you know, that can happen. I mean, I would argue that it's, it's bigger than the Olympics because in the yeah. Olympics, football uh, doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, only young players play there. So, you know, you don't have the most popular sport there. And uh, FIFA World Cup final is probably the biggest game in the world that happens in a four-year span. Like, not even in four-year mm -hmm. span, in all time. Really? Yeah. So, it should be the only sporting event. Uh, when it happens, it should be the only sporting event. Like, USA does a great job. You know, when the Super Bowl uh, is playing, the NBA yeah. uh, stops for one day. Everyone watches the Super Bowl. Some players even go to watch the uh, Super Bowl final whenever uh, it takes place. So in my eyes, it should be, you know, all eyes on football and yeah. it wouldn't be a shame to play, I don't know, or, or Monday or uh, probably the, the right thing to do would be play on Saturday, the league games, and just mm -hmm. have a day off on... Uh, okay, they had double Sunday. round week, for example, in your league. So I don't remember if Monaco played on Friday or on, on Thursday. So maybe they cannot play on Saturday. Monaco play, played Friday. Plus the game on Monday or you can make it a mid-noon game or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I know that nobody actually cares about Monaco and Lupertel. Uh, in even in France, it, you know, there's not much curiosity about that game. But I mean, we're talking about small details, but these small details they make a big picture. That's where the perfection starts from details. And it seemed like Monaco were watching the <laughs> football game as well. They started <laughs> zero twenty. I don't remember any other single yeah. game with that kind of start. When I heard about zero twenty, I, I thought like. They didn't show up in the game. I mean, they got the technical loss, <laughs> technical or, or what, loss. what was going on? I don't know, but it's just um, you know, probably some players were still watching the game on their phones or <laughs> yeah, Laprovitola was watching the game. Laprovitola was I watching. I was so the game. glad for the guy. That was such a heartwarming yeah. video, let's say. And he actually played a nice game, thirteen points. He was a top scorer against Gunnikaha, so I thought that he, for sure emotionally it's gonna be so hard to handle for him. But you know, sometimes it works uh, yeah. in your uh, favor. In your, in your favor, so that's probably that's probably what it was. Not for Monaco. Uh, great news for Lithuanians, and I believe great news for all European basketball fans because yes. we will have Euroleague Final Four 2023 in Kaunas on May 1921. That's so cool, actually. And the tickets will be available. I saw January 17th. January 17th. Yeah, there is f4tickets.com and I see that uh, the prices range from uh, 20, uh, 225 euros to 515. I'm just not sure if it's a, a day ticket. That's No, no, that's uh, a package for the whole uh, for the whole uh, event, event? Okay. I think. I think that's, that's a pretty good price. But uh, actually, I, a, a lot of people I saw some people congratulating me uh, for having the Final Four for the first time in, in Lithuania. But at the same time, actually, for us journalists, it's way more exciting to travel to different mm. countries, to to get to know different cultures, uh, to go to these uh, countries with huge fan bases like Istanbul, Athens, Belgrade. It's way more exciting because it's, it's something different. Because, okay, we're used to this... Uh, event, uh, big basketball celebration in Lithuania, which is actually every week we have a sold out crowds. Uh, we have 
from I don't even remember. I think that only the first game of the season was wasn't in a sold out crowd. So, but it was like ninety eight percent still. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's cool. At, at least that's how I I thought about it at the beginning. But then when I thought how many different basketball people will have in one place, starting from fans, players, uh, agents, scouts, NBA people. Maybe some Greg Popovich is going to come to Konas. Kevin Durant, if if he will fail again with, with with Brooklyn, you know he will come to see Mike James, for example, in Konas. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I think that basketball fans in Europe should be so happy because Konas is a great city to have this event. The best thing about Konas, uh, I'm I'm not living in Konas. I'm living in Vilnius, my hometown is Panevėžys, and actually. Okay, I'm not saying I'm gonna I'm not going to say this on the record, but what I wanted to say, why I like these events in Kolnas, like it was Eurobasket 2011, pre-Olympic uh, tournament, that after the basketball game, it is so cl- it is in the city center. It's like you have to cross uh, by the bridge, mm-hmm. and you're in the area with a lot of bars, nightclubs, and a lot of stuff. And I remember that in 2011. As soon as you finish the game, you go out outside and you see so many players, coaches drinking, celebrating, yeah. just talking, just sharing the emotions, just sharing the uh, love of basketball, love for the game of basketball. So it was, it was one of those places where you you feel that the whole city is living uh, by ba- is briefing uh, basketball for the entire weekend, and it's pretty rare thing. I've just been in this uh, Eurobasket in Cologne or especially Berlin. Whenever you go outside the area of the arena, nobody knows about Eurobasket. Nobody knows about basketball. It's not going to be the case in Konas. I mean, Here, everyone will, you know, it's going to be the number one priority for probably the rest of the uh, rest of the season, you know. And uh, just to have so many basketball people in one place and to be for that place to be in Konas in Lithuania is something special. I'm really happy that Lithuania uh, and Konas in particular is getting this chance. And, uh, you know, it's not one of those uh, situations where you will see a, a gym in the semifinal or third game play, uh, third place game completely, you know, not completely, but for example, let's say 30% of seats, uh, you know, not occupied. I don't believe this is going to be the case. I believe it's going to be full. I believe it's going to be loud because, you know, you know, we have some teams that have have great fans, but for example, Barcelona probably is going to be the favorite here, even though their fans are not are rarely for traveling. Yeah, yeah, they're rarely traveling to um, to Final Four, so it's going to be really cool to see if Barcelona is there, how uh, Lithuanians would support uh, Jesse Kavicius and uh, him winning the trophy uh, would be uh, an amazing storyline as well. You know, we talked about great storylines mm-hmm. about the World Cup final and, uh, you know, Sharas winning uh, the Euroleague in Konas would make for a pretty good article. And as you mentioned, I don't know if it was off the record or not, mm-hmm. but, you know, then, you know, seeing him celebrate and, and Barcelona players celebrating would be cool as well. Yeah, and... Uh- Talking about Barca, I mean, I just love watching them, how they're keeping people's uh, mouths shut in terms of winning against big teams. Like the game against Monaco, I mean, it was super solid win, defensive win for the team. They did a great job defensively. And I mean, if you remember, they played Fenerbahce, who were really hot and they one in a solid way i would say the same happened with real madrid although the final result was was close but 
once again, Barcelona just made problems from out of nowhere, uh, basically, in the last minutes of the game. Okay, they lost against Olympiacos, and there was this FS game, but I would say that it was more about FS playing well. an amazing game, uh, turning the uh, momentum of the season around. Yeah, they lost as well, but I'm talking about those big teams, and I just remember how nobody treated Barcelona seriously before the season. They were like, okay, Kalaitis was better than Satransky. Okay, uh, Vesely, he's getting older. Okay, their roster is not impressive. Okay, Shara sucks. And now when they're facing big-time teams, they, they're delivering. They're really delivering. I mean, if there is one thing you can count on Barcelona doing is them having the best plan, the best plan for these big games and the best plan to stopping these superstars, you know, like Mike James, like, uh, you know, Vasilya Micic. You know, you you name it. You know, there's going. Sharas is Yaskevich is going to prepare a really a really nice plan, an effective one. And uh, for in my eyes, Barcelona plays better against uh, good teams than they do against the. I don't, I don't know. You know what's the secret behind this? It's hard to explain. You know why they're playing better against uh, top tier teams, but uh, it's just for me. It just happens to be the case and. I'm I'm sure when I'm tuning in watching Barcelona play against the top eight team, I'm sure they are going probably are going to be the favorite. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mention why Ritis is not here, right? I don't think so. He has a fever. At least he texted me about it like a couple of hours ago. He's uh, still celebrating straight probably. before the pod, but I am sure that it's heavily related to the fact that Argentina <laughs> won the final because he was almost crying on the TV uh, broadcast he yesterday. Wrote, he wrote on Twitter that he did, I think. Okay, okay. You could even hear it from bit. his voice. I mean, it was an emotional moment for him because as he mentioned, he, it was the best final for him, for sure. And of course, watching Leo Messi and Argentina winning was something else. So his body just couldn't, you know, handle such an emotional Too pressure coming from, from everywhere. So... That's the reason why he's why he's not here, and it's it's really sad because we had some great topics for this part today, um, including some trade scenarios in the Euroleague. Nobody is doing trades here, uh, especially compared to the NBA. But the problem, the thing is that the transfer between the Euroleague teams window opened on December 18, and until December 28th, Euroleague players are able to switch teams. Uh, for one and last De time. December 28th? Yeah. So like uh, you can sign one, one week and that's it? Yeah, it, 10 days. So if, if you're playing for Barcelona, for example, uh, and if you want to play for Fenerbahce, for example, you have only 10 days. Now it's even even less to, to switch teams. Um, so this is like the only week we could do the trade yeah, scenarios. That's true. Okay. That's true. It's such a short gap, which is a little bit weird. But a free agency period... Uh, finishes at uh, February 9th. Uh, and I remember that last year that they postponed the dates uh, after the um, Cups break, which makes sense, actually. Makes sense, yeah. So who knows, maybe it will happen the same. But again, it's exciting time to share those hypothetical trade scenarios. We have GOAT conversation, basically, GOAT. in basketball. And this season, Mike James this had a great thread. That's why we we're. It's sad that Ritis is not here because he was. He had a great discussion with Mike James about box and one defense, mm -hmm. and pretty much is right. And you know, Costas and the Costas and the signing with Fenerbahce, right? So, let's start from Mike James thread, right? <laughs> uh, I think I have a quote 
somewhere. Yeah, he just after the Alba game, he te- uh, he tweeted, "Okay, the day is passed and the game is over. Can we all agree that playing box on one for 40 minutes in a professional basketball game is ridiculous?" Just a reminder that Monaco won in a tight game against Alba, game winner by LA Okobo. Mike scored eight points, I think, and made seven assists and seven rebounds. It let's, was the let's lowest scoring the game of the season, really probably. Quick. Mike had uh, eight points, seven rebounds, seven assists, uh, only one turnover in 32 minutes. He shot five times mm. from the floor. Yeah, he was three of five. I yeah three of five two of two free throws probably that's the lowest uh, amount of field goals he took uh, in all season I mean yeah I'm not going to check all the games right now but five shots I'm I'm, I'm I yeah. would be pretty safe it would be pretty safe to say that you know that's the lowest amount and um, I the next day I open Twitter I see his, this post I'm like yeah I got I gotta check the comments you know what they're they talking about and and you know. I opened the, the thread and it's Ritis, you know, already with the oh. five replies with the, with the Mike James. And my first thought, thought is obviously, oh, that's a dream interaction for Ritis, you know, mm-hmm. I don't care even what they're saying. But then I start to read and it's like, uh, basically what I see from, from all this is that uh, Mike is simply sad that, you know, he took, he took uh, only five shots. And to me, his argument that you have to man up and play the defense, I mean, this is not a valid, valid argument to the fact that, you know, he's calling this is a, stu- this a stupid idea. Stupid idea for 40 minutes. Stupid idea for and 40 I think minutes. It's not, about, it's not about being sad because he, had, uh, he took only five shots. It's being sad because you're basically not able to play, you know, a normal basketball game as a basketball yeah, yeah, individual. Yeah. You cannot yeah. enjoy the game in That's that case. That's true. You cannot enjoy the game, but the game is not made for you to enjoy it. The game is made for you to win it. And uh, they won, but Alba did the best they could. I mean, they are on. They were on a 10-game losing game streak, streak coming into this game. They have the last time they won probably was in October still. So, and I don't see, you know, him saying man up and play defense. I don't see, like, and basically he said, you know, if you play this uh, box and one for 40 minutes, you're admitting that your players are not good enough. I, I don't see nothing wrong with admitting that, you know, uh, Maudola, Jaleen Smith, or anyone else on Alba is not able to guard Mike James. Mm. That's that's a normal statement. I agree. Probably even the players understand that, you know, sometimes they're not capable of guarding Mike efficiently. And sometimes, even when there are good, really good defenders, you know, it doesn't really matter. If Mike is in the zone, he can knock down pretty much any shot he wants. He can make the three-pointer over Walter, Eddie Tavares. That's true. So, you know, I don't see why it is stupid. You know, uh, I, I think, you know, if he wrote this one uh, 24 hours after the game, he was annoyed during the game. And it, it is another advantage of Alba, you know, because he definitely thought that during the game, like I'm an odd, what are they, what are they doing for 40 minutes? You know, just let us play. So it, it also kind of got in his head, you know, just a little bit. Obviously he made all the right decisions, all the right passes, Alpha Diallo, Jaron Blossom game, we're shooting wide open. But I mean, you know, I don't see how that's much different also from let's say doubling him on every pick and roll situation. Mm-hmm. Like what, what? What is the difference? Like he would he would have to give up the ball. He would see a man every time close to him, and it would be a similar situation. So the only shot he was left was like step back three pointers, really hard because there were like sometimes where 
he's trying to play isolation basketball. He sees one man in front and two They're other guys and two other guys are like basically standing next to you. There is no driving gaps. There's only the pass to the corners. It, it, it was a risk that uh, that worked. Um, so like, I, I don't, I don't see a problem for this, for this defense. And, th and they could have won the game also, Alba. I saw that uh, some people were like uh, trash talking that oh Mike you you were uh, allowed uh, only to limited to only to eight points so that works I I don't think it's right because all, as Mike also pointed out no, he generated so many points I checked the stats and even more uh, great uh, great shots for others even it, the, the ones the that they missed in in points and assists he created twenty eight points that was a the game high uh, in in both teams and i would actually love to see this stat line uh on the box score how many mm. points you generated from scoring and assistance so mike was tough with 28 which says that he still found ways how to be effective uh, and to win the game uh against that kind of defense so so what's the problem i see i see mike i see mike's point i mean uh i think that talent should be endorsed. I think that we should by other team. Listen, let let me no, finish. I don't agree. I think that, I don't agree already. <laughs> I think that talent should be endorsed. Look at the NBA rules. Uh, they made so many rules. There's no defensive. Uh, there is a defensive uh, three True. second uh, violation. The space is bigger, so you kind of create more opportunities to score. You create more opportunities for a higher scoring game which comes from the talent, uh, from the skill. There's this goaltending rule when you touch the ball when it's on the rim. It also helps to score more points and it helps talent. I mean, I think that in all, almost all cases, we should endorse talent and we should kind of support those who are talented and not uh, uh, make rules for those who want to squeeze the talent. But we're not living in a fairy tale. Your league is not a fair competition. You're having Monaco with Mike James and Alba. Mike James, exactly. and I think that Elio Cobol, they make as much money as the entire Alba roster. And it's not just a, some guess, it's calculated uh, guess. How can you expect that this team will have anybody being able to defend you one-on-one? -on -one? And this is not this is not even the NBA. I think that Alba they do also don't have this ten year A license. They're also you know fighting for the future. They need to win games. And if as this there is this famous quote on on the Moneyball movie movie. If we play like Yankees here, we're gonna lose to Yankees out there. So Alba cannot play like any other rich team with a lot of talented uh, players rallied by some kind of uh, particular amount of, of money. They have to play different and this is their style. Defensively, it's not the first time they use this uh, uh, defensive scheme. Although, okay, for me, it's also weird that they were playing the 40 minutes but it actually helped them to stay in the game. I mean, if they lost to Monaco only by, by a game winner, by a buzzer beater, it's already a good situation because for such a low budget team, it's already great to be in a situation to win the game in the end. You're not necessarily winning all the games, but at least to put yourself in a situation to win the game in the end, if Johannes Timon, for example, made that three-pointer before the last yeah. position, the game is over. So it says that it was, it was great. So I believe Mike's, I, I, I understand Mike's frustration. I remember when Steph Curry uh, was treated with this defensive scheme in 2019. By Toronto. 
Toronto NBA Finals, he also said that this was like janky defense, and and he was you know trash but talking about the whole their. Point. If you are so good, if you are so good, and you know the other teams will try to do something to stop you. They they will try anything to stop you because you are the you are the reason why they yeah. will probably lose if they don't do anything. So why they shouldn't do it? Or they, they they just prefer by lo uh, losing to Blossom Games three pointers. Exactly. I don't know Donta Hall scoring, yeah. Donatas Motino scoring, but not Mike James because every time Mike James scored more than eighteen points, they won the game. It was I think four or six times this season. Mm -hmm. It also tells something. So I kind of get it because uh, the way how Alba played took all the joy from basketball from Mike James. But at the same time, we're not living in a fairy tale world. So you you made a great point, you know, uh, to which I agree uh, that you have to endure endorse talent, like NBA does. But at the same time, NBA has a salary cap and all, and all the stuff you said. So uh, the the last thing I want to add to this, uh, you know, story is that uh, it is normal. You know, we should we shouldn't. Um, decide uh, from the results only about the choices of the team. Only the outcome does not say if the choice was good or not. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, maybe the True. results from one game can be, uh, I don't know, you know, valued differently. But the choice was simply that you live with others taking the shot mm -hmm. and not Mike James. And to me, this is a good strategy. Doesn't matter the outcome. This time they lost, but they had a good game. Fine. Maybe the next time it doesn't work, or two times in a row it doesn't work, then you say this is not a normal tactic. You should indeed you shouldn't do this for forty minutes. But you know, I understand why they did it, and uh, really, to me, I imagine more of other teams doing that. Maybe not for forty minutes. Mm. So. I don't know, like he, saying that uh, Scariolo or Nurse when they were in Toronto doing this to Curry or even Triangle in two. Like, yeah, they, they admit that Curry is too good mm. and for all individual defenders. Not for the entire yeah. game. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But still, you know, implementing this defense, you're saying that your players are not as good individually yeah. as Curry is on offense. And I don't see a problem with that. So uh, Alba doing this to Monaco for 40 minutes even less problem. Mm. Uh, Sergio Scariolo also made some, I would say, more louder statements. He said that... Before going there, Ser yeah. Sergio Scariolo uh, played that defense box and one on the same evening, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Virtus Maccabi game. So <laughs> uh, I think those two games were happening uh, at the similar time I'm probably? not sure no I think that whatever it, it doesn't really matter but uh, or you're right probably you're right yeah I don't remember right now but um, yeah uh, so what's he won the Eurobasket basically he won, he won heavily exactly. using that system not 40 minutes but like yeah. 25 minutes in key stretches in key stretches so and he turned around uh, the, the games in the in the playoffs quarterfinal the mm -hmm. final yeah. so and he did that again, and it was so funny to me. He did this against Lorenzo Brown, the guy with who he won the Euro, yeah. Euro basket, yeah, yeah, yeah. using this tactic. So you, you think, okay, uh, Scariolo is going to use this against Lorenzo Brown. Lorenzo Brown saw this for the whole summer, for the whole tournament. He will know what to do. And he, and he did not know what mm -hmm. to do. I mean, Maccabi did not know, did not know uh, what to do. I mean, they missed some open shots, but they were... 
you know when you're in a situation so wide open but you're not used to being and you're like okay should i pass should i do what why am i'm so wide open uh-huh. that also is the beauty of box and one because it gets you uh and a little bit it gets the other team in a chaos so uh they were down six or seven i think uh, they switched to box and one uh for full time with uh, three or four minutes to go and they won the game by uh six or seven points lorenzo mm-hmm. brown touched the ball like uh twice in that stretch Maccabi missed a lot of shots uh, he turned the ball over as well and uh you know it, it was uh the the ending moment was fun to me that after the game they're shaking hands Scariolo is trying to find Lorenzo Brown and Lorenzo Brown is like come on man you you did this to me like mm-hmm. we we used to do the, the same thing together and now yeah. you did this to me it was it was really nice to see and uh you know boxing one works yeah especially for Maccabi I mean I think it's also come up, comes up with the fact that Maccabi is one of the worst three-point shooting teams so it also helps Monaco case is different I guess oh no no I mean they're 16th by a three-point shooting percentage so it also makes a lot of sense why Alba took so many risks with some open corner shots or some other and shots. you know maybe if Jordan Lloyd was playing who knows if they yeah. would have implemented this for 40 minutes but uh you know this is just a hypothesis so the big statement by Sergio Scariola was that uh, he was asked about Sasha Vzenkov after Olympiakos game and Scariola after that blowout loss said that I think he's definitely number one power forward in Europe right now. That right now changes, you know, he's giving himself a little bit of space in mm. my eyes by but saying by I, saying right now. I was just uh, not 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 surprised but I was actually happy how Barca took personal how Barca took it personal that they responded at least they I mean, responded at least twice uh there were two memes. tweets there was one meme and one tweet with Miratic uh on the picture and something like uh the real number one power forward or something like I that I saw only where I think it was like after Monaco game probably after they won it against the huge opponent and Mirotic, of course, he had a big game. So I like that, you know, in EuroLeague, it's not so usual uh, to have those kind of, I wouldn't call it beef because beef again, between who? Between Scariola, Barca, Vizenkov. I mean, it's not a beef, <laughs> but I love to see stories being expanded and continued and even on social media. Although if I'm Mirotic and if I was not informed about those tweets, I don't feel very good about that because they're kind of putting me under the bus. You know, creating what? this kind of beef between him and Vezenkov. I mean, starting this uh, big debate. Well, as a player, know. why do I need that? I don't think uh, it really matters to uh, Miritich like what's, what uh, they're tweeting on, on Twitter or on social media. I don't really think he... You think so? I don't think he cares at all about this. Actually, I think that... I mean, NBA teams are doing that. Uh, the Twitter handles of NBA teams are mm. doing this on a daily basis. And, you know, it's just so much information out there. Maybe, you know, maybe you're saying this because we are not used to seeing mm. such Probably. beefs, rivalries. But I don't think Miritich really... I mean, he, he thinks he's number one. He doesn't give but a I shit actually what believe they're saying. Man... What? Come on. We're talking like two weeks after Papayanis heard that we thought that Jargis will win the game against Panaikos in Kaunas, told it 
to his players and it was a big time thing uh, they were emphasizing after winning the game and you yeah. think that this statement by Sergio Scariolo not by Ritis not by Augusta Shulauskas but by Sergio Scariolo FIBA uh, goat had nothing to do with Mirotic and didn't impact him I just I re- but what but I really said, like about he it said, what he said right now and Mirotic has up to that moment where he says right now has played two games but you know what media did even even our social media guys i didn't see that right now moment on our uh, social media post there was just this quote and i think that right now part was cut from from it <laughs> so and you know and i believe this translation thing wrong translation thing happens all the time i already in suffered Europe. it by myself you know close agreement or like being in advance uh, uh, negotiations suddenly becomes a done deal or things like that. So I for sure believe that in some media, Spanish media outlets, it was also mm. taken like Sergio Scariolo said that Vezenko is bigger than Mirotic, for example. And I really believe what I actually like about that situation, I, I really think that Sharas also loves it. As a If I'm a Barcelona head coach, I love that kind of motivation because I know that Mirotic sure. will react he will try to prove that he is the number one. He's coming off uh, a huge injury. He was uh, out for six months and it, it will just boost he, himself, you know, to, to compete at the highest level every single night. So I think that Sharas uh, really likes it because I actually had this personal experience before 2014 uh, FIBA World Cup in Spain. And I remember that before the start of the World Cup, I wrote a story how Gustavo, Gustavo Yon killed Jonas Valanciunas in the last NBA game. I mean, nothing dramatical. Just this is the key matchup of the game, Mexico-Lithuania. This is the start of the F- uh, FIBA World Cup. And, you know, Valanciunas, that ni- uh, matchup was a nightmare for, for Valanciunas. He, like, finished the game with two points and Ion had something like close to 20. These were not usual numbers for Gustavo Ion. And, you know, I put some story that it was going to be a big matchup and the last time they met, you know, Ion was a, like a nightmare to Valanchunas. Before the practice or after the practice, uh, preparing for the game, Jonas Valanchunas uh, comes to me, <laughs> or not even comes to me, in the other side of the floor, I was in Gran Canaria too, on the other side of the floor, he calls the press officer for the national team and he says, this guy, this guy wrote it. And he, he points a finger at me. Yes, yes, he, him. And he starts shouting like, what the hell you're writing? What What do you mean nightmare? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, it was very simple and uh, uh, direct. So I, I tried to have a discussion with him. And, you know, we had a... We had our own arguments. I understand his position, although I think still I think I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. But anyways, the main point is that my photographer noticed that Jonas Kozlowskas, I mean, he saw this altercation like somewhere in the corner. He was smiling because he knew that he needs to wake up his uh, big uh, beer. Uh, let's say, and just to inspire and spark him for the good start, because usually the start is very nervous part of the uh, tournament. Sure. So Valanchunas just killed Gustavo Ayon in the first game of the World Cup. And after the game, Valanchunas was, uh, you know, looking for me. Where, where is that guy? Where's this? <laughs> where's that my friend? You know. <laughs> so I really believe that uh, Mirotic saw all those social media posts, uh, saw some headlines, and it will have to do. It will have something to do with his performances going forward. But talking about... Uh, yeah, that's the main point. We didn't even start talking about the main point. The main point. If he's... Who is, who is really, better. Yeah. Uh, 
Yo, to, to compare these two, you know, in a fair way, uh, first of all, I looked at the stats of Miritich from last year, uh -huh. and uh, he played 25 minutes, Vizenkov is now playing 30 minutes, so I calculated the stats per 30 minutes, you know, at the same time. And you get the situation where Sasha Vizenkov is scoring 19.6 points right now, and Miritich had 20.4. Rebounds, plus one rebound for Vizenkov. So it is plus one point for Miritich, plus one rebound for Vizenkov. Uh, assists, steals are similar. Vizenkov obviously is minus one in turnover because he doesn't dribble as much. Uh, shooting percentages almost identical from everywhere. Sasha plus 4% from 2%, 71-67. Three-pointers, 45-47. Free-throws, 87-89. So like all mm -hmm. statistical categories... Uh, taking the same amount of time is we we could say that these are identical. So you basically are choosing of which style of play play you prefer more. Because uh, what I also did, I watched all fourteen games and all the offensive possessions where Olympiakos scored points, where Sasha Vizenkov scored points. He has scored in fourteen games two hundred and seventy five points. It, for those situations where he scored from free throws, field goals, he has made 26 dribbles. That's, I mean, every time I say it, every time I, I yeah. tell to anyone, it's like, this is, this is ridiculous. I, th mm -hmm. I think to myself over and over again, this guy is scoring almost 11 points doing one dribble on average. This, this is insane. And um, the way he creates these points is amazing. Yeah, now you're going to say that it's not, let's say, sustainable in the fourth quarter. Uh, no, I'm know, not going he's, to say it. He's dependent on others in the fourth quarter, and that's true. Uh, but the art, the play style, for me, it's beautiful to watch. He is so good at it that he doesn't really need to dribble. He scores points without even dribbling. And, you know, you can't really say he depends on others because... Yeah, they still need to make a pass for him at the right moment, at the right time. But in some of the situations, he is the one to create that creates advantage with, with his all off-ball movement. What, what I, what I want to say is, you know how they Mike James creates something out of nothing? Olympiakos also have these moments where the possession is stuck and Vizenkov does, you know, uh, two steps to one direction, mm. then goes back door and he creates the advantage with off-ball movement. Mm -hmm. This is... You still need to make the pass, like as I said, mm -hmm. but it's still creating something out yeah. of nothing. What and this is what great players do. This is what Nikola Mirotic does in the post. You know, you don't have the advantage. You have five seconds. You pass to him. He makes the he makes the score. So it's just an orthodox playing style, and uh, it's hard to say which one is better because you know these debates all the time are uh, you know a little bit uh, inefficient. Let's say you know it, it, they don't really make sense to because different playing styles, different coaches. But to me, it's just beautiful to watch and 26 dribbles for 275 points. Come on, man. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say that he is not scoring in the fourth quarter. I mean, just in general, uh, these debates are great, but at the same time, every time I think about it, it's like, why should we even have those debates? I mean, let's just appreciate the greatness. Let's just appreciate the greatness that we have not only one Potentially best power forward, but at least two potentially best power forwards. It's, that, it's just could, that could for easily play in the NBA. Yeah. Both. Yeah, that's true. Uh, just 
Okay, but it's it's basketball and it's a game and we have to create some narratives, intrigues, drama, discussions. It's sports. I mean, that's true. What we are discussing in a bar, it should be the same here because it's just a game. Why we cannot try to find the best or try to make the argument who, who is still better if we have to choose. Uh, just in, in this Vazenkov's case, uh, I, I really think that I mean, when we're talking about the greatness, I think it's also the consistency matters and uh, uh, the sample size matters. And at least we have to see how Vizenkov will finish the season, uh, if he will manage to keep those numbers, if his team still will be winning. Uh, because Miratic, I mean, I'm not... Skariol is right. I mean, right now, for sure, Vizenkov is the best power forward in Europe. You, you can't... Uh take four games or three games that Miritic played. He played two games before that statement. And even though, I mean, coming off six month injury and providing he's still, he's those numbers was huge. I mean, he's already doing great. Uh, but so far, Vezenkov is just is just amazing. One of the best personal seasons uh, we're witnessing in, in, in many years. But anyways, I still need uh, to watch him until the end of the season. And when we're talking about the greatness, a lot of different factors comes into the play. For example, you cannot compare Mirotic's role uh, in Barca and the pressure which is coming from outside that everybody is just counting how many Final Fours he played in and how many titles he didn't win. Uh, he kind of reminds me LeBron James of the NBA. There's this huge amount of pressure that Miro, if you're the greatest, you have to win this, 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 and that. You cannot basically Every cannot lose. Yeah. In Vazenkov's case, it's different. I mean, I cannot say that he's treated as the main guy in the whole Olympiakos team because there's Kostas Lukos. Of course, Vazenkov is the leader of the team number-wise, but it seems like, you know, that the game starts not from him. With Barca, it's kind of the same, but everybody's looking at Mirotic. If Barca loses, everybody looks how many points Mirotic has scored, and if they fail he will get the most blame. It also comes uh, it comes from, you know, getting four or five million euros per season. I mean, if you're paid for like that, you kind of not deserve that pressure, but it's normal that people are expecting from you more. I would just say that those two guys, they're on two different situations and even their teams, nobody will say anything Olympiakos won't win the EuroLeague. If Barca fail to win the EuroLeague, everybody will say that Charles is the worst coach, Mirotic is a, is a, Overrated. a choking choker and, and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's just my whole point. I'm enjoying Vizenkov's season. I think he's just awesome and he's making the case for the MVP trophy for sure, but let's be patient. Do you agree that he is the MVP so far? 14 yeah, games? Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Because okay. of the team results and his outstanding individual performance. Okay. Let's yeah. go to the trade ideas. Uh, yeah, trade ideas. I think I just mentioned that the transfer window opened. Yeah, yeah it's until 28th yeah. December. And some teams already made moves. Fenerbahce signed Costa Santetokounmpo until the end right. of the season. I was a bit surprised by the signing. But at the same time, from what I hear, it's heavily related to the fact that uh, Fenerbahce is struggling with injuries. At first, it was Jonathan Motley. He was out for two or three weeks. And uh, now I'm hearing... I don't. I didn't see if that was reported. Uh, but I'm hearing that Tonia Jakiri... So, it's so hard to find uh, information about injuries in the EuroLeague. It's yeah, I'm, I'm just hearing that Tonia Jakiri is, is injured. Just not sure for how long. And that's why... Uh, they're signing him. Okay, there's official... We see the official statement by Fenerbahce. 
which says which gives an update about Nemanja Bills and Tonia Jakiri uh, situation. Tonia Jakiri, a return is expected to take eight weeks. So that's a long period. Nemanja Bielica yeah. uh, will start working with the team in the first week of 2023. Okay, so that explains everything. So basically two players that are coming back full strength. They're playing without in, three bigs. In, in I mean, February. okay, Nemanja Bielica never played for Fenerbahce yet this season, but Motley and, and Jakiri, especially Jakiri. It, it makes sense. Injury. I mean, you know, with Motley and Jakiri injured, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And... Uh, um, I actually made a video about Costas and Tatukumpu. You can go watch mm -hmm. it on our basketnews.com uh, YouTube channel. It is called uh, Costas and Tatukumpu. I think is he is he any good? Uh -huh. And uh, and uh, basically, why I like this signing for Fenerbahce is because of the way he fits for this team, of the playing style, how they how they want to play. So he is you know athletic big who can switch, who can defend. Uh, uh, and protect the rim, and he's a great pick and roll, uh, rolling to the rim. And you, and when you have Nicolaitis, and you have a team who wants to switch as much as possible because of you know they have the players that are that are that are good uh, for for this system. So I think it it makes a lot of sense because uh, that's what they were doing with uh, Jakiri when he was uh, coming off the bench. Costas is not going to be asked to to create here. Um, basically, you know, a center who protects the rim, who protects the perimeter when asked on switches and can uh, finish the plays uh, that Nick Kalaitis will create for him. So I think he is a great fit in, in, in this area and um, he will be uh, a good, uh, let's say, substitution for, for the next two months. I mean, I don't imagine him playing a lot when uh, everyone comes back because of his uh, weaknesses, you know, let's say his concentration issues on defense, uh, team defense sometimes, but, um, and mainly because, you know, he doesn't offer much uh, anything else on the offensive side. But uh, for the next two months, he's going to be a really nice uh, substitution for these two guys. You mentioned how much he will benefit from playing pick and roll with Nicolaitis. Just, just a Quick thing to add, I mean, he already played with Kalaitis in the Eurobasket. He was coached by Dimitris Etoudis. So it's kind of a shortcut for a quick adjustment uh, in the team. And uh, he had, uh, wait, in Eurobasket, he had uh, trouble uh, injury. He didn't play much, but at least he was practicing all the time for the Eurobasket. He was with the team and he, he knows, you know. And he was really good Kalaitis in that game. Uh, he was really good in that game, Serbia-Greece. Uh, which was World in the qualifiers? World Cup qualifiers uh -huh. before getting injured. Uh -huh. He was a yeah. be beast down there. He went, I remember he went for this rebound or a putback jam uh, and got injured uh, in his knee, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. But before that, that game, he was superb. I mean, he's an athletic freak, just mm -hmm. like, you know, his brother, he, all, yeah. of, all of the brothers are. And uh, so this is not surprising that he's going to Fenerbahce. Oh yeah, and it's actually Costas and Tacumbo is related to the other topic we're going to start our trade scenarios. It's it's once again it's sad that Ritis is not here because we were about to bring like at least five trade scenarios mm. which we were about to discuss. 
but anyways, I mean, in, in, in one of the cases I had, I mean, I think that Costa Santa Tecumbo was a, an amazing backup for Panathinaikos, for example, for Papayanis. Mm. He would be way better fit than Arturas Gudaitis is. And it was, it could have been related to one of the trade scenarios I actually had, like trading Gudaitis away and signing Costa Santa Tecumbo. And just imagine if, if Fenerbahce uh, didn't have those injury problems. Uh, I don't really believe that Maccabi was after Antetokounmpo because from what I've heard, when Alex Poitras uh, was sidelined, uh, they were preferring stretch four rather than another athletic center because they have Nebo and Sorkin is doing really nice job. As a, Sorkin is uh, carrying my fantasy team, you know, my yeah, fantasy bench. He is one of the, I would say, alternative surprises of the season. 100%. Yeah, one of the most interesting new newcomers in, in the EuroLeague. So I really don't believe that they were serious about signing Antetokounmpo. So anyway, let's start with our trade scenarios. The whole topic, when I thought about it, I was so ex freaking excited. I was like, oh my God, we can bring up with so uh, many interesting trade scenarios. But then when I tried to dig, dig in, find logical solutions for both teams, not so to hard. harm anybody, I was like, wow. In what kind of shithole I'm putting myself? Yeah, because, I mean, it all starts from the thing that we don't have a salary cap mm. in the EuroLeague. Uh, the, probably the money questions are defer too much for some of these trades you're about to hear in this mm. podcast as well. Uh, you don't have draft picks to send, which yeah. would help a lot of yeah. trades yeah. we are yeah. about yeah. to say. And... Um, and all the teams are in win now mode, mm -hmm. at least right now in December. Yeah. You know, no team has given up on the playoffs, mainly because there is so much parity this season in the EuroLeague. Three wins uh, separate the last place from the playoffs and the first place also from the eighth spot. So these trades are really hard to make i that's why maybe you know it's also hard to make for the euleric teams we never we never see this happening because you don't have you have you can just basically switch players and and it is really hard probably to find the, the middle point but let's try uh i can go first and you know we can touch partisan okay I think, here in this topic uh they are they have the second best offensive rating in the last five rounds i'm taking the last mm -hmm. five rounds because you know it speaks about how you are you performing in the last month not how you did in yeah. the in october they have the second best offensive rating and the worst defense in all euroleague mm -hmm. and to me that's crazy uh, when you talk about a team who is coached by Jelko bradovic but um there they have two problems the defense uh they don't have defensive minded players okay and they don't have a point guard in offense. They have so much talent there that they can outscore some of the teams, but they are a, for now, they're a jump, jump shooting team that don't have defense. Mm -hmm. And I don't see such team out shooting with jump shots on, on, a, on a weekly basis, every other opponent, even though they have a huge home court advantage there. I don't see them in the playoffs uh, with this roster. So I am proposing uh i mean i would if i'm partisan i would be going after daniel hackett mm -hmm. for the point guard position yeah and uh it's a free team free team uh, free team trade with uh papa petru okay going to back to panathinaikos yeah because he is struggling a lot and don't say you have the same <laughs> trade that will be 
Papa Petru, Panathinaikos, Partizan. I just have different players coming to Partizan. Daniel Hackett? No, no. no? Okay. I was so. actually thinking about uh, Paola. I just didn't think what Virtus uh, would need. You know, that's I, true. I couldn't Th- find a team not for Virtus. Up. Oh, so and I have ha- Hackett to Partizan, Papa Petru going uh, to Panathinaikos back, and uh, Danilo and Usic mm-hmm. going to Virtus because I think they they could use some. Uh, you know, they could. Give up some defense, which usage doesn't bring, mm. but he brings a lot of shooting. Okay, and I think which... they could they could use that and some pick and roll creation. And uh, Panathinaikos is sending Ponitka as well to Virtus, ah, so okay. they have some depth at the forward position. You uh-huh. know, he can uh, yeah. basically you know fit in three different positions, play whatever roles Cariolo needs him to play. And that would make so Ponitka and Usage to Virtus, Papa Petru to Panathinaikos, and Hackett to Partizan. And I, I, I mean, probably Virtus is not accepting this because Hackett mm-hmm. is their main point guard and stuff. But just to me, you know, Virtus gets some depth in the forward mm-hmm. position uh, to cover some injuries, to cover any spots. Plus, they get they get you know some creation with the ball. Powell gets a replacement for you know for Marius Grigonis and. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I believe Papa Petru is a better player than how he's playing right now. And the Partizan solves their problem with the defense a little bit. Plus, they have an, a creator who can, who can organize the game because right now they're just, you know, one-on-one basketball and, mm-hmm. and a jump-shutting team. I actually tried to find some reasons behind poor Partizan's defense in their depth. I mean, they're just playing so many minutes. They don't have a long bench. And I thought about extending their uh, bench. And the first, I wanted... Can, a, we, can we, before we go, we can talk about a little bit more about yeah. partisan defense because it's okay. it's ridiculous to watch some of those. Sure. Some of the players that you can see uh, what they're doing on the court, they're completely... Like, you see Yamadar... Uh, pressuring the guard mm-hmm. extremely well, but off the ball, like you could basically say they're faking the defense, the aggressive mm. defense. With the home court advantage that the fans gi- give to them, you know, it seems like, oh my God, they're so aggressive yeah. playing the defense. They should be a, a top five defensive team. But after you cross the half court and you uh, beat the pressure, they're all over the place. Like mm-hmm. in the weak side, you can... Players are, are playing defense yeah. like this. They don't yeah, understand that's true. That's true. where their players are. Uh, and, you know, off the ball, they're not as good. So basically, you can you could say they're faking that aggressive defense. And, and just the atmosphere makes you think as a spectator that there should be a really yeah. great defensive team. When in reality, Jelko Bradovic has players who never really were known for defensive mm. uh, purposes, except, you know, for, for a couple of them. So... Uh, it's strange that Bradovich's team is last, but at the same time, when you see uh, you know some examples, you're like, okay, this is this is this is clear mm-hmm. now. So let's hear your trade. To it's a four team trade. Four team trade. I mean, it, it's just because it, it I took had you to two find hours. Some teams. I, I I think that it, the whole you did not this watch segment the whole, for me. The I, it took like four hours, and I came up with like maybe two logical trade scenarios, and these were boring ones. So this one I actually made it up just before the podcast. So I'm looking for some depth. I need somebody to change Matthias Lazorts and to be a, a more experienced uh, inside the paint uh, center, big body. 
uh, to also help Lazor to be more aggressive and active in some situations because, of course, if you're getting into foul trouble, you're done. Partizan doesn't have any backup for them. So, And also, as I mentioned, I need some IQ. I need some IQ defensively and especially for, for perimeter defense. So based on that, I have four teams in a trade and Partizan gets Arturas Gudaitis from Panathinaikos mm-hmm. and Austin Hollins from Maccabi. First of all, neither Gudaitis nor Hollins, they're not on a huge role in both teams. I think they can can provide more. I think that they would be better in a better situation, better environment in terms of coaches, philosophy, team, just fit in general. Uh, So the next team is uh, in a trade is Panathinaikos, obviously. They're getting Papa Petro from, from Partizan. Why are putting Papa Petro into the trade? Because I think that they're deep enough in, with their backcourt. I mean, they have James Nunnally. You can move Dante Exum through different positions because you have Yamadar, Alexa Avramovic. Also, there's also Anjusic. And there's Ken Punter. I mean, they're so fucking uh, deep, freaking deep. Sorry for my bad language. Uh, <laughs> so... I'm sending Papa Petro to Panathinaikos because although I think that they still pref- need a big man uh, in this situation or they even need somebody to stretch the fall- floor from the fourth position, I think that both for Pao and Partizan, for Papa Petro, it's maybe better to, to return, to change some players uh, and to give that, you know, uh, local player spirit and to fit next to Bacon, Derek Williams, for example, and, and to play big lineups. So I'm sending Papa Petro to Panathinaikos. And then there are two other teams, Milan and Maccabi. Milan gets Darun Hillard from Maccabi because they're lacking off score from scoring options, perimeter score, who can help to create some more spaces for others, who can get the defensive uh, attention and to make more spaces for others uh, to score. Or Billy Barron is starting to heat up, though. That's true. Barron is great, I know. But I just need more options in their offense, especially when Shaywan Shields is injured and Kevin Pangas is injured. I think it's still still a great fit Mm. for them offensively because they're probably dead last in in offensive rating. Uh, What Maccabi is doing... They're getting Deshaun Thomas from Milan because they need somebody to stretch the floor from the fourth position. Odette Katash also likes players who can play nice. multiple positions. So I think nice. it's just a great fit next to Bonzi Colson or anybody else from the and, fourth position. And Deshaun Thomas seems a bit uh, underused uh, yeah. in Olympia's yeah, office. Uh, and the thing about Deshaun Thomas is that in order for him to be efficient and successful, to feel the rhythm, he needs to play bigger minutes. Bigger role. A bigger role, bigger minutes. Because he's not that type of player who can just, you know, who can get up uh, on the floor cold and then in the third quarter to hit some dagger freeze. No, he, he needs to feel the game. That's how it was in, in Bayern. He was playing a lot of minutes. I know that he wouldn't play 30 minutes per game in Maccabi, but at least close to 20 because you cannot say that Maccabi has a clear... Uh, foreman in their team. Uh, I think that Martin is playing around 16 Martin. minutes. Poitras was playing as a four before, which actually offensively, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, Poitras and Nebo for me is ridiculous. So Deshaun Thomas stretched the floor uh, and would help them uh, offensively. And actually, I have Marius Grigonis uh, to Maccabi as well. 
I don't remember the reason behind that, but I just think that if, especially if Papa Petrus is coming back, they don't need Grigonis. They're already winning without Grigonis. And Grigonis is a player but who needs the ball. Pao are giving up Gudaitis and, and Grigonis yeah, for, for Papa, Papa Petru. Petru. That's a great uh, deal, I think. Do, do you think it, don't you think it's too much mm, for Papa Petru? No. No? No. I, I just think that Gudaitis he's not in his shoes in that team and it, it, he's not what Panathinaikos needs. They need a different center. So that's why they would hit yeah, the market maybe. for a center, a mobile center who can switch, who can be different or who can okay. stretch the floor. I don't know. Gregonis, I mean, it's like you already have Bacon as your top scorer. He's Williams. You're, you don't know when he's yeah. coming back. Yeah, so. he's, he's having this back injury. There's, but but you know, that, that's also why it is so hard. But I actually like this trade. But that's mm. also why it is so hard to make these trades because every team is in win-now mode, like I said, mm. and you don't want to take an injured player Whereas, whereas if you if we are talking about but, NBA, yeah. you can talk, you can take an injured player and his salary yeah, to get back something for the next season, and you know, or a draft pick, and that would make sense. Now, if let's say nobody knows when Grigonis is coming back, right? Mm, that's true. So, and Maccabi's like, yeah, we are getting one healthy player and one player that we are we don't know when he's going yeah. to play. Why it's we, some why we should some take risk behind this yeah, trade. I, no, yeah. I'm not saying the trade is bad. It it's I like the thinking about it and I see why you were you it took so so much mm -hmm. time for you to think about this. But but uh it's just why again Euroleague and trades in Euroleague are are so rare. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's a cool one. It's a cool one. Okay. What do you think? Um, my trade? second one, you know, I'm gonna mention Darren Hillard in my last trade, but the second big one is a sign and trade deal. Okay. In the Euroleague. Can you guess? No. Who it is? Sign and trade. Sign. I, my head is so empty right now. Facundo Campazzo. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was actually also thinking about Red Star. I mean. And uh, I still believe the point guard position wasn't the one that Zvezda needed the uh. biggest upgrade in. So I said, yo, let, let us make Facundo Campazzo go home. Okay. Go okay, home I to like Real, to I Real like Madrid. And it's Facundo Campazzo plus John Holland to Real Madrid. And in return, Zvezda oh. gets Mario Hezonia Ooh. to play at the small forward position. Ooh. And Adam Hanga, a defensive-minded okay. player who doesn't have a role in Real Madrid because of 12,000 uh, backward players that they have there in, in their rotation uh -huh. this season. And he has played only in two games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but maybe four. I mean, it doesn't matter. He didn't, so, he's not playing. Yeah, and uh, you get Hazonia uh, to play the small forward. That's huge upgrade for this position. Mm. He can he can have a huge role, high usage. He's tall for the position, so he can fit in the, their defensive also play, uh, play style. Another option, scoring option for them, which is I still think Zvezda need. And uh, Hang is a great defensive player to fit their style as well. And Campazzo back to Madrid is the thing you want to see. And I still think, you know, he puts them over the top, you know, in the title con contending mm -hmm. race. So you have... To fit the time of Hezonia, you have Couser, you have Abalde, you have Janan Musa, who is playing outstanding basketball. 
you have Gabby Deck yeah, at the yeah, third yeah. position. But with this trade, you would be improving the point guard position, and Campazzo is still, you know. That's amazing trade, really. I think. Thank you. That's a great trade, and especially when I watched, was watching Jorgis and Real Madrid, I'm like, <laughs> Keenan Evans is the best point guard on the floor. I mean, mm. I like Nigel Williams, Gus, but I just don't think it's a good fit for both. I would really like to see him playing somewhere else. There were these rumors months ago about Partizan, for example. I don't know. I think he just needs some different environment, and uh, Real Madrid could really benefit from our elite point guard playing next to Chacho Rodriguez. That would be something amazing. And th that trade Sergio makes Yui a lot of sense. Can play, to, can play the, the shooting guard position. Yeah, Rudy Fernandez. Rudy Fernandez is still there. Someday, uh, so. So and, and, and in Red Star, I mean, you have Luka Valdoza playing wonderful basketball, Nemanja Nedovic playing at home, playing with defensive effort, uh, inspired by Rushkevanovic. He's still Nemanja Nedovic. You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, they're playing. Their backcourt is really great, and now you're adding Facundo Campas. Of course, it adds a lot of value, but at the same time, a lot of talent. How Nedovic, for example, will adjust his role? Of course, if you have a chance to sign Campazzo, you don't care what anybody else uh, would think about it or how they're gonna feel. They will have to find their uh, space, their, their their spot on the roster. But still, I mean, both for Real, they need some different players, both Red Star, I think I agree with you that they need some different players, so that would be a great trade. I would actually ask some something more from, from Madrid because, you know, Red Star I mean, has this upper hand. You're getting and Adam Hanga. Yeah, but they already, I mean, they have Campazzo. So they have an upper hand. So I would ask something else. Okay. Maybe for some cash or, or for some other <laughs> Or player. a draft pick. Or a draft uh, swap. The possibility to swap. Or a prospect. To. I don't know. They have a lot of great prospects in the youth system. And usually they don't even play for the main team. So just mm. drop a couple of them. Okay. Yeah. My, my last two trades are really boring. Uh, <laughs> one was actually already included in this four... Uh, gigantic four-team trade. It was Hillard for Deshaun Thomas. I just think that this is a simple and easy uh, trade for uh. both parts. As I mentioned, Hillard is not performing well for Maccabi. They can actually afford losing him because there's Austin Hollins. They have enough bodies in the backcourt and they need a stretch for. And as I mentioned, Milan needs somebody to inspire their offense. Before you tell uh, your last one trade, I have a trade for Darian Hillard as well. He He's like... For me, it seems like the most uh, the player who wants who would in the if if we were in the NBA, he would be like, I'm asking for a trade. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe he already did that on Twitter. We no, <laughs> he's happy playing no, no. in Tel Aviv. I just think, and the best thing is that he's a great guy. Bringing him to your team, you're not putting your locker room to some you know toxic uh, environment no he's a great addition for for any team whether it's a title contender or a team in a playoff race like you have for your trade offer right uh no i have uh darren hilliard going to olympiacos ah okay taking the place of isaiah cannon and isaiah cannon reuniting with lorenzo brown in that backcourt I had the same idea. I tried to put all these scenarios. I just don't see a lot of sense for Maccabi to, to bring Cannon to Maccabi, actually. Okay, you're adding another shooter, but, I mean, you still have Hollins, you still have Adams, there's Baldwin, there's Lorenzo Brown. I just didn't, didn't see that it was a good it, move for Maccabi. 
Yeah, for Olympiakos, I mean, it's great. I was even actually almost ready to sacrifice Alec Peters for that for no, that no, trade. No, you're not sacrificing yeah, Alec but Peters yeah, there. It's not worth it. But uh, I just see that, you know, new environments for two players that are not playing up to their level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they could have a fresh start uh, with maybe a bigger role if they start to play mm-hmm. well all of a sudden. Uh, Cannon next to Brown, we already saw that uh, yeah. it was working last season. Uh, he seems like a perfect fit to me next to Lorenzo Brown, to be honest. Uh, so both both players get a new chance and a first start in the middle of the season, and maybe lifts they can, could lift both teams, you know, to you know make this next step. Mm. I was also thinking, you know, that uh, Olympiacos could uh, trade uh, Isaiah Cannon not for Darren Hillard, maybe for someone else, and then try to sign Tyler Dorsey, you know. Yeah in February before the deadline. And that would make Olympiacos an even stronger team mm. than, than last season. So, uh, but I thought, okay, we're not, you know, adding any particular signings other. So just uh, yeah. just this simple trade between two players that are, yeah. let's say, underperforming, but they're, I, I believe yeah. both of them can play much, much better. In, in they're a, not as bad as the numbers look right now, for sure. That's also a great trade. Uh, I was so focused on, on Panathinaikos that I also thought about another scenario. Hey, why do you hate Panathinaikos not? I'm not hating. I'm look at action. Man, I'm not even hating them. I'm looking for the best solutions for them to Bravo. become even better, man. Bravo. So that's why, again, I'm looking also, for... Also, you're saying they're not good enough. Okay, I see. Mm, they're <laughs> not good enough right now to be a top I'm eight lock. So I'm maybe they're one or two trades away from being a top eight lock. And maybe okay. this trade at least will help them to get a little bit more wins. And I'm sending Gudaitis to Bayern Munich and getting Freddy Gillespie uh, from Munich because I just think that he's more able to switch. Uh, and he is that energy booster who can also afford playing off the bench. What Gudaitis brings to Bayern uh, is experience. He has a, uh, I think that at right now he has a higher IQ because of his Euroleague experience. And that's what this uh, team with a lot of newcomers uh, in, in Munich uh, needs. And from what I, I, I heard that Bayern was also monitoring Gudaitis in the off season. So I think it, it makes sense, especially next to Otello Hunter. Okay. Easy trade, not a game changer, but, but let's just swap two centers. Makes sense. For their best. To try. Yeah. So, I don't have any more. I had yeah. these three. We were actually we were about to offer two droid ideas, and if Ritas was there, we would have six. So we have to, you know, uh, to come off with, with something bigger. Uh, but I think we did a nice job. We're actually waiting for your trade offers uh, in the in the comment section, uh, and we're waiting for you to come up with some crazy, but at the same time. Um, smart uh, ideas for all uh, sides and yeah this is it this is it guys you guys will see how hard it is to yeah you know make a fair trade for both teams when you don't have uh draft picks or mm. or can you fair considerations. to all teams yeah i know i know probably there's going to be some comments uh there are going to be some comments where you know uh, you are a fan of one team and you like a team a good player from the other side and you're just giving up i don't know uh, mm. You are taking the starting player from one team and giving back uh, the rotation nine, yeah. eighth, eighth or ninth guy on, in the rotation to the team. But yeah, we are waiting for your suggestions in the comment section. And uh, press like button, 
because it really helps us to grow. Subscribe our channel, rate us five stars on all the audio platforms you're getting our podcast and see you very soon. This week we have a Q&A pod. We hope that Ritas will recover from this Argentina fever <laughs> and he will be able to make the pods. So actually you can already start making questions for our Q&A episode, which will be uh, available, entire episode will be available only for BN Plus members. You can become BN Plus member on basketnews.com slash uh, plus, but also you'll see some parts uh, of the pod uh, available for the everybody. But I really encourage you to become our BN Plus members because you will get a lot of extra features, including additional Augustus uh, breakdowns, Rita's betting tips, uh, some opinion articles, and a lot of things uh, on Facebook group, for example. We have this closed community where you can ask the question, uh, whether it's Eddie Tavares, uh, Vasilis Panoulis, all these main guys. Uh, the, the next guest on Basket News Talks might be another famous uh, vocal and very interesting personality. So I think it's really cool feature, you know, just to send your question and to hear your name during the interview. For example, oh, Augusto, Schla this is the question by Augusto Schlauskas. Um, how important for you to win games, coach? Just, just an example. You never said this. Uh, I guess it's only for the BN Plus members and yeah, uh, yeah there's not not for, not, 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 for, not, for, not for the colleagues you know I'm, I make uh, 80% of the questions for you and then you're like yeah because you're getting hey, paid Wal for hey it. Walter Tavares you know uh, I have a lot of questions from you my own Actually, questions all questions are from Augusto Schlauges <laughs> no it's not no. true but yeah August is also delivering some good questions so as you see I'm open to all the offers and we're for sure gladly can put it on our interviews Anyways, enough. Uh, thanks a lot and see you soon this week.